Education is what's important. Training, preparation for the expected. Education, preparation for the unexpected. Good morning, Team Krulak community. And on behalf of Marine Corps University, the Marine Corps University Foundation, and the Brute Krulak Center for Innovation and Future Warfare, welcome back to the Brutecast, our series designed to connect the worlds of the warfighter and PME with the best in innovative and creative thought. I'm your host, Major Ian Brown, Operations Officer at the Krulak Center. So, big moment for the Brutecast today. We are very excited to welcome General Eric Smith, the Assistant Commandant of the Marine Corps, to the program. This opportunity grew from the great conversation we had on the Brutecast with the Talent Management Strategy Group a couple of months ago. Among his many duties as Assistant Commandant, General Smith has direct oversight of the Talent Management Strategy Group, which is charged with aggressively addressing the initiatives laid out by the Commandant of the Marine Corps in the Talent Management 2030 Plan, which itself is a cornerstone of achieving the objectives of Force Design 2030. Today, General Smith will discuss where Talent Management 2030 stands to date, but more importantly, he will answer your questions on where talent management is going for the Marine Corps in the future. So, sir, again, welcome to the show. Very much appreciate you taking time out of your schedule to uh, come and talk to us and answer some questions from the audience. And uh, I'll turn it over to you for any opening comments you'd like to make. Hey, uh, thanks, Ian. Look, I'll, I'll be uh, I'll be very brief because what I want to do is is take your questions. I got a lot of stuff I want to say, but I can I can weave that into the questions. So let me clarify a couple things. TMX, the Talent Management Strategy Group, two purposes. Uh, there's a near target and a deep target. The near target is what we're really talking about right now. Getting a little bit of heat in the engine room. Some some immediate um, actions that demonstrate talent management is about one individual at a time. It's about fixing policies that don't seem to work uh, or work today and pushing authorities as low as we can. So you don't need to come all the way to manpower management to get an answer for something that a battalion commander, squadron commander, uh, battalion sergeant major, squadron sergeant major can fix. That's the near-term piece. There's a, a longer-term piece that's more challenging and ultimately will be just as important. And that is, what does the, the landscape look like in 2030, 2035, 2040 for recruiting, for retention? We have to have somebody who's looking really deep at deep, deep targets, kind of like force reconnaissance would do, so that the commandant is prevented from, uh, or so that the commandant doesn't uh, have strategic surprise in the manpower arena. Uh, if demographics are shifting, if propensity to enlist is, or to serve is shifting, we wanna know how that's happening. We wanna know where that's happening. Uh, if the employment model and the, um, the economic outlook models are X or Y, we want to make sure we're in step with that in 2035 or 2040. We don't want for that. We don't want that problem to come upon us and then attempt to adjust our recruiting models, our retention models, etc. So that's the two-phased uh, approach to TMX. We're doing the near term right now because, frankly, that's easier and it's it's actually a lot more exciting. The deeper, longer range stuff, less exciting, uh, more uh, 05XX work. Um, the planner work that really gets you into some of the details of where we might be in 10, 20, 30 years. Um, I would say up front, talent management, again, we, we can write a manual that's this thick, like so many other manuals that are this thick that usually go unread. Um, or we can remind people that talent management is kneecap to kneecap, one Marine at a time. 
it is company first sergeants, company commanders who, who have had the training at enlisted PME, Staff and CO Academy, EWS, the basic school, who then go kneecap to kneecap with each individual Marine in their unit and say, what would it take to keep you? Let, let's be clear on that. Talent management, one Marine at a time. What that doesn't mean, and this is where I get a little frustrated, frankly, with, with some who are, who are perhaps uh, a little far removed from what we're actually doing. Um, it doesn't mean that I'm going to bend over backwards and do whatever you want because you're a young lieutenant or a young lance corporal. That's not what I just said. What I said is we're going to ask the question, what would it take to keep you? doesn't mean I'm going to pay that price. It means I'm going to ask you. Uh, I always use this analogy for those that watch uh, the show American Pickers. Uh, if you haven't seen the show American Pickers, it's Americana. You should watch it. When they're out there banging around picking, right? Meaning they're they're antiquers, right? They always this guy says, "Hey, I don't want to. I don't want to sell this." And they always ask, "What's the I don't want to sell it price?" And sometimes they'll offer up some outrageous number, and then they just walk away. So if I say, "What's it going to take to keep you?" and you say, "I never want to leave Camp Pendleton. I'm a lance corporal, and I want to be here for the next twenty years," I'll give you the answer to that right now. No, um, we're 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 too far apart. We're going to walk away. So when I ask you, what's your, I don't want to sell it price. What would it take to keep you? That's just the start of a conversation. But of course I should ask that. Marine says, hey, all I want to do is go to jump school and I'll, I'll stay forever. Okay. Uh, hey, I would like to extend to Pendleton for three more years for a total of six. Sounds reasonable to me. Um, I would like to change MOSs and I'm fully qualified. That sounds reasonable to me. So it's just the start of a conversation. Ultimately, the Marine Corps is going to get first bite at the apple. Marines will, will execute the duties that they are assigned. And when the Marine Corps issues you a set of orders, those are the orders you get. But before I issue the orders, we should have a conversation about what would it take to keep you if I want to retain you. So I think there's a little bit of uh, a misperception about uh, talent management means we're just going to let every Marine do what the hell they want. That, that's not true. I just think most Marines want to be asked before I get a set of orders. And maybe I could have a conversation with the monitor, which actually happens now, but we don't have the tools. Most of them are uh, technical tools that enable the monitor to see all uh, of the issues that a particular Marine may be facing. EFMP child, uh, dual service, um, uh, family's got somebody who's a senior in high school. Hey, we're going to totally account for that. There's nothing wrong with doing that. Doesn't mean I'm not going to give you orders that, that you or your high school senior don't like. Um, but before I give them to you, we should try to avoid that. So that's really talent management. Uh, overly simplified. Company first sergeant, company commander. Take a, a roster of your Marines. A couple hundred Marines. You know, that, that, that's what we're talking about. And you should know each and every one of them if we're, if we're really doing our job. And you just take a highlighter, right? Yellow. Uh, green and red, and you go through and you say, Lance Corporal Smith, he's red, you know, three NJPs, can't show up the formation on time, uh, frankly, not doing the MOS that well, probably not going to ask you what's it going to take to keep you. I'm going to say, thanks for serving, and off you go. Yellow, Lance Corporal Jones, eh, doing okay, um, not my strongest performer, but but doing okay. Okay, we'll talk to you. And then the vast majority. 
the vast majority of our Marines are green. They are do doing a great job. They are honorably serving qualified Marines, airframers, avionics techs, riflemen, mortarmen, uh, logisticians, 0411s. And it is with them that I ask that question, what's it going to take to keep you? That, that's talent management. And then finally, it's getting feedback from the fleet that these are the things that are most important to me. If you want to retain me and my family, these are the things that matter. That uh, if you did A, B, and C, I'd stay. Again, I may not be able to pay that price, but I just want to know what your I don't want to sell it price is so we can enter a conversation. And then and push those authorities down to the lowest level so that we don't have to have every question come to manpower. Because when you get it, when I call General Borg Schulte, uh, Major General Mike Borg Schulte, Cobra Pilot Extraordinaire, um, when I call him and say, hey, Mike, I got a challenge here. I just found out about this dual service family that is, you know, being being separated by multiple hours, et cetera. Or, hey, I got a case of a, of a young corporal um, who's not being able to reenlist. They're, they're completely qualified, but they're not a, quote, tier one uh, Marine. But they're awesome. They just got a Navy Achievement Medal. They just got this. Um, in every case, when I call General Borg Schulte at Manpower Management, boom, fixed on the spot. Because Marines are decent people. They're trying to do the right thing. We don't want those questions to have to come to manpower management to be solved. We want those electronic tools, the technical tools, to be there at the hands of the career planners down at the battalion and squadron level so that they and the monitors are, are actively engaged and we can solve those problems at a squadron level. So when a Marine says, I would like to re-enlist, and they are a qualified Marine, they're doing great, never been NJP. Got a PFT and a CFT. They're, you know, 250 PFT, 250 CFT. Great Marine. Um, and they say, I'd like to re-enlist. What we shouldn't do, and, and they're, let's just say they're an avionics tech or, or they're a, a 2111 a armory, a armorer. We shouldn't say, you know, thanks, that's a great offer, but let me think about that for the next four months. And I'll, I'll see if I get a better offer from a better Marine, and then I'll talk to you. That, that is not a way to retain people. Um, you say, you're a totally qualified Marine, you want to re-enlist, boom, we're going to re-enlist you. Some say, well, that seems like you're going to take lesser quality Marines. Uh, that is just not, that's not where this will go. If someone is your number one Marine, you don't, you don't get to set the market price just because you're the number one Marine. That's great. And your, your number one Marine-ness was recognized by a meritorious promotion or a Navy Achievement Medal. And I do want to retain you, but what I'm not going to do is keep 42 other Marines who are not number one. Um, I'm not going to keep them waiting for four months while you make up your mind because the Marine Corps needs to have some stability, predictability right now. And these other Marines um, are, are, they're ready. They're ready to commit and go fight right now. I'm going to take that. Uh, it's often like uh, your very best player on a team, eh, sometimes they're not the best team player. So we're, we're looking for Marines who are willing to commit to the core. And if you're willing to do that, we're willing to give you an answer as quickly as we can, days. That is a technical issue such that every squadron commander doesn't say, poof, you're, you're, you're kept. And it turns out we just kept 300% of an MOS. Yeah, we can't have that either. So you're going to have to give me a minute to make sure I get the technical tools sorted out to push this down. Uh, we just started this, remember, you know, really just a year ago, 
uh, we've been doing this for 246 years, so you're going to have to give me a minute, uh, but we're going to get there. Okay, Ian, that's my preamble. Uh, far too long, but now I'm ready to go 50 minutes uh, question and answers. I'm not going to run the clock out on you. Over to you. All right. Great, sir. Appreciate it. No, I think that's a good that's a good uh, setting the conditions here. Um, I'm going to leave with one question that uh, I've got offhand, but I've got questions coming in on the chat as well. So I want to I'll get mine out of the way. and We'll get to those. So really what I, I want to get out there first is kind of updating us on where um, kind of where we were since we last spoke with your office in the TMX a couple months ago. So uh, we spoke to the talent management strategy group right after the talent management symposium. Like I said, it's been a couple months. So in that time, um, what initiatives from the symposium has the talent management 2030 team moved out on most aggressively in that time? What, what were the big things that were identified there that required immediate action? Yeah, I would say a couple. Um, and remember, T TMX uh, works for me and I work for the commandant. So uh, one of the things is dual service. Um, that I will tell you the personal uh, kind of pet peeve kind of drives me nuts here. Um, right now, we got two Marines serving the Corps and and their families willing to make sacrifices to serve the Corps. Usually what happens is the monitors do a great job of, of trying to assign those dual service Marines um, to the same location. But what we find sometimes is because of the policies that that are written say, hey, you got to keep them within 50 miles, right? Let's just, I'm just making that up, but keep them within 50 miles. Well, that sounds good. So, uh, so my wife, Trish and I, let's just say she's an active Marine and she's an airframer and I'm a grunt. I'm at Pendleton, she's down at Miramar. That sounds all right. You know, we live at Carlsbad, right? We split the difference on the five and, um, and we're good because we each drive, you know, kind of 25 minutes, winter. Well, but what if I got kids in a CDC uh, and they're at Miramar? So when, Trish is then out in the field. Uh, she deploys to ITX uh, or deploys to Red Flag or whatever for three weeks. I got to tell my boss, and we're both corporals. I got to tell my boss at Pendleton, hey, I, I need to leave uh, an hour early because I got to make it all every day for the next three weeks because I got to make it all the way down to uh, um, to Miramar to pick up kids at a CDC. That's probably not ideal. And there are some who will say, well, you know, back in the old days, um, if we want to issue a or have a family, you'd have issued you one. Well, that sounds really great, you know, except for the fact is the propensity to enlist is down. I think it's about 9% of, uh, of the population who's eligible in the first place actually thinks about enlisting. So we got to live in the times that we live in, not the times we wish we were living in. So if you want to recruit talent, retain talent, you got to roll with the times a little bit here. And so um, you have to have a family care plan, but I got two corporals. One's a, uh, you know, a team leader, uh, a budding squad leader. One is uh, is a wicked good airframer. And what I'm not going to do is say, you know, y'all just suck it up and figure it out. And then I lose them both because I can't go recruit them both again because the propensity to enlist is down. Most are not qualified to enlist in the first place. So we, we have to deal with that. So that's one issue. Um, the other issue is the tiering uh, thing that I just talked about. What we're working on now, and again, I, I need the technical tools, which Lieutenant General Glavy, uh, who's the head of our information directorate, right? Uh, Deputy Commandant for Information is working hard along with our folks down at uh, Marcor Systems Command, Marine Corps Systems Command, that's uh, Brigadier General Angus Walsh, to build the tools so that when you want to enlist and you're a quality Marine, <clears throat> I'll be able to say, 
boom, done, which is really the, the continuation of the commandant's retention plan, where we tell you right now, you're able to reenlist. I can't do that on the scale of a 210,000 Marine, Marine Corps right now, because of those tools aren't there to tell me, hey, we've now filled up this MOS. Here's a quick example. Um, if I'm buying tickets to the Nats game, right? I go online and I say, I want these tickets, you know, third base line, you know, I'm cheap, so I'm not gonna buy the super expensive ones, um, but I want, I want these tickets and they're, you know, they're 75 bucks. And now I, you know, I look on the, on the internet, uh, I look on the, on the website, they have a program, these seats are available. You say, put those in the hold, uh, in my, uh, in my outbox or my shopping cart. And it'll say, you got like 10 minutes to make this decision. So in the meantime, I track Trish down, she's in the house somewhere. You know, we talk about it. We look at schedules. It's been 15 minutes. We go back and say, buy the tickets. And it says, sorry, those seats are sold. I mean, we do that immediately. Ticketmaster for concerts. I'm dating myself a little bit. You get the idea. And the same thing with, uh, uh, with sporting events, that, that technology is out there. That's what we want within the Marine Corps. So I can say, hey, 32 boat seats left. I can tell you right now, this Marine's qualified. They're ready to go. They're endorsed by their squadron commander. Boom, I want to see, hey, Marine, you know, I'm a career planner. If you want this, tell me, because <clears throat> those 32 seats are going to be gone. Right now, you kind of mail it in, work through it. Two months later, I come back and tell you, that is not because the people in the Marsh building aren't working their butts off. It's they do not have the technical tools to be able to do the Washington Nationals ticket plan where I can show you right now, these seats are available, but when they're gone, boom, they're gone immediately. Airlines do it. I mean, everybody does it but us. So we, we need to get there. That will enable us to push power down. That's just two examples, over. Great, thanks, sir. Um, I'll go to the questions now here from the audience. In fact, the first one kind of ties into that recruitment piece. Um, you know, like you said, it's, it's been noted, there's a lot of sort of ominous statistics floating around about Who's thinking about doing it and who's even eligible of those um, who are thinking about doing it. Um, so what is what is the Marine Corps, what's the talent management strategy under the DOD to help boost whatever whatever the image is of the Corps, boost it so that we're we're increasing those numbers of those who are seriously considering it? Um, and what, what's the plan to communicate that? Yes, it's a good question. So if you talk to General Bowers, Major General Bowers, who was a CG of recruiting command, here's what I would tell you. Um, the recruiters are out there busting their backsides, looking like Marines, wearing their blue deltas, acting like Marines. 71% of our contracts come from face-to-face. -face. They don't come from TikTok, which is not ideal since the Chinese own that. Um, they don't come from uh, Facebook. They don't come from an advertising thing. They, they come from a face-to-face -face with a Marine who looks like a Marine, acts like a Marine in a high school, getting access to the high school, and saying, hey, would you like to come and, and join this Marine Corps? Because remember, you become a Marine. You don't join the Marine Corps. Do you wish to become a Marine, to transform? We are working a few things within the Department of Defense to make sure we have access to high schools, we have access to lists, um, so we can reach out and offer an opportunity to young Americans. Um, the, the biggest problem we have is there's a not the biggest a problem we have there's a perception that the recruiters are going to quote hound you you know if you say hey don't ever ever call me again uh, the recruiter's going to call you three times that week having done recruiting duty um, you got better things to do when you tell me never call me again uh, i'm going to put you in the in the hold file and i may in fact call you 
a year later and say, hey, the economy, you know, is this, have you found a job? Because actually what you find is a lot of Marines or a lot of individuals who become Marines have told their recruiter, don't ever call me. A year later, they got a call from a recruiter and they said, hey, you know what? Life didn't turn out the way I thought it was. Thanks for calling me back. But we don't call you relentlessly every Saturday. I mean, I have better things to do. So we need access. We also need, um, this is candidly, we need our most senior uh, uh, public officials, uh, administrators, et cetera, to, um, to help us with getting the word out about the value proposition of service. I mean, it is in addition to serving the nation and defending the Constitution, which is what we do. We also train you to be avionics technicians, airframe mechanics, airframers, armorers, logisticians, air traffic controllers, infantry marines, intel specialists. If you don't think all of that is transferable uh, when you when you choose to get out of the Marine Corps, which most Marines do, we'll all, we'll all get out at some time, then I would I would have an argument with you. So the value proposition of service is something that we need to remind people. And I would say on our own, within the Corps, the best way you can help recruit is to act like Marines. We still have far too many Marines who pop up on the front page of a newspaper um, for something bad. Now, we're, again, we're 210,000 active in reserve, right? Um, Texas math, 176, 178,000 active, 36,000 re uh, reserve. So, you know, do the math combined, we're 210,000. On any given weekend, there's probably two or three Marines that did something that rose to my level. Do the math, three out of 210,000. You, you can't buy that level of goodness. We gotta remind people of telling our story. We got 210,000 Marines and yes, these three did something this weekend that I wish they wouldn't have done. You find a town of 210,000 people, fill it with 18 to 24 year olds, give them free time disposable income. Um, and you tell me you'll have only three incidents. We are incredibly good. And I think we need to remind people of how good the Marines are. It's not 99%, it's 99.9999997% who do everything right. I think, uh, but all of us have to call out those who, who act in an unmarine-like fashion Hey, that's not us. That you want to be like the rest of us who are the 99.999997. Um, you want to be like us, not not these few outliers. And but those Marines who do that conduct, be it sexual assault, harassment, hazing, you pick it, hey, you're killing us. You're killing the image. And it's not your image to kill. Uh, it is the Marine Corps' image, been around 246 years. And we uh we we need to make sure we we call that out so that we only show the image of the Corps that is what the vast, vast majority of Marines are, which are dedicated servants of the Constitution. We can, we can help ourselves there. Yeah, absolutely. Thank you, sir. Um, so next couple questions I'm going to pull together, and this goes back to what you were talking about in terms of making more tools available and pushing those tours down, tools down to a lower level. So um, the questions get after, um, could you expand maybe on, on what some of those tools are that you're looking at to push down so that your your career planners and the, the folks at the lower level who are outside of manpower, you know, the headquarters manpower can use that. Um, and this includes, uh, there's a question specifically about the, he, he's not sure the actual name, but the assignment bidding platform that allows units and Marines to sort of 
to uh, to go and interview and, and match desires to requirements. Um, what sort of if that's one of those tools and and where that's at? Yeah, it would be one of those tools. And what we're talking about, the Air Force has done that, I think, uh, very well. Where you say, look, here, here's the options that are out there. Here's the jobs available. So if I if I electronically was able to kind of like again going back to the Nats ticket thing, if I was to place all the billets out there and I said, hey Marines. Here's billets. I have billets in Okinawa, best duty station I've ever been to, by the way. Um, sorry, K-Bay, love K-Bay, been there too. Love Lejeune, love the beach at Onslow, love Pendleton, uh, love going to the beach there at Delmar. Best duty station I've been to, Okinawa. So if you're looking to go to Okinawa, you know, have at it because best duty station ever. Um, and my wife would tell you the same. If I took all those duty stations, Harris Island, um, Albany, Blunt Island Command, Pendleton, Lejeune, if I took them all and I put them on a board and everybody closed their eyes and I said, okay, Marines, here's the billets. I got equal number of billets with equal number of Marines who are sitting in the audience. Everybody close your eyes and tell me what you want. 85% would be solved right then. Because there's people that love Camp Lejeune. They love hunting. They love fishing. They love being close to Myrtle Beach. They love being on the East Coast because they got family there. Um, they just Lejeune is it. They want to get into the med. Uh, they want to go up to Norway, cold weather training. And then there's people who love Delmar. They love everything about SoCal, the weather. They want to be able to go to Palm Springs, go to Vegas, and they got family on the West Coast. And they want to do Westpac floats. And, you know, you, you get the idea. Why shouldn't a Marine get to go there if that's what they want to do? Because we're not fighting at Camp Lejeune or fighting at Pendleton. Those are launch points from which we fight, right? So whether you're fighting in the desert at 29 Palms, in and around pine trees at Camp Lejeune, or up on the Alpha Shelf at Camp Pendleton, that's not where you're going to fight. It mimics where you're gonna fight. Those are launch pads to deploy forward and fight, which is what we do. So let people pick where they wish to go. Now, there will be a point when, hey, you've been at Camp Lejeune for nine years, it is time, in fact, for you to broaden yourself and see the rest of the core. Um, it's not homesteading if you're there for six years, uh, especially if you have a spouse who's a lawyer, uh, teacher, nurse, and they want some stability. You, you want your kids to go to one high school or maybe just go to two, not four high schools. So that's where we can work. But that uh, talent management tool is what we're talking about building. That is one of the things that uh, General Board Schulte, uh, who's down at our management, wants. It's incredibly hard. Uh, I have to protect your uh, PII, your personally identifiable information. That's your PII. You can't get another EDPI. So that that is one of the tools that we would like to have. Does that sort of answer that question? Yeah, I think it does, sir. And I've uh, I got a couple notes. I might come back and revisit here uh, here in a few minutes, depending on the other questions. Yeah. Um, next one is uh, it's asking about what tangible changes are being looked at to um, to sort of smooth the way for those Marines who might take, you know, the uncommon path or like the one that takes them outside of their MOS pipeline. Um, and he notes that he's, he's the only active duty Marine within 400 miles of a certain place in Southeast Asia, but it, it actually mirrors a conversation I was having on Twitter last night with some folks where, you know, talking about the, the, the critical need to put people in things like FAO, Rayo billets, you know, special regional expertise, um, you know, but on the flip side, there are some communities where, they don't have the the extra bodies to go do that. 
And then if you go do that, when you come back and you're looked at at a board, you know, well, it was great that you filled that niche thing, but now you don't have the same MOS credibility as someone who's been in there for, you know, who was doing that three years right. in the cockpit, what have you. So what, what's being looked at to sort of, to sort of smooth that path and ensure those opportunities don't come back and bite people later on. We're, we're, we're doing it right now. But again, I can, I can build a, a manual that's, you know, that's that thick that nobody will read. Talent management is you. It's all of you who are on this board, on this podcast, and your friends as you go. Uh, and I see we got Lieutenant uh, Bastian here. Uh, he'll go back or she'll go back and be part of the Lieutenant Protective Association, the LPA, um, and they'll talk about this, right? When you are a Lieutenant Colonel and sitting on the command board, don't do that. I mean, I can build a manual that says don't do that. But once you go into the board, the precepts are, they are things that the, the owner of the board, there's, there are boards that are statutory, meaning by law, uh, promotion boards, the secretary of the Navy will issue precepts, but he or she may still not say you will pick Bastion, Carpenter and Blocker. You will pick them. Can't do that. You can say you must consider that we need intelligence officers. You must consider that we need officers who have joint qualifications, but they're not allowed to say you must pick this person. Non-statutory boards, MESEPs, command boards, same thing. The commandant will issue precepts, which means I want you to consider. So the members of the board then have to vote their conscience. So when you, all those of you who are on this podcast, when you are sitting on those boards, don't do that. Don't take, so I'm a fail. I'm a Latin American fail. I've had two jobs that the monitor told me, well, you know, these are the jobs you got, but your, your career is kind of over. Um, I went to be a Marine officer instructor at Texas A&M. It was an awesome job. Loved it. Went to OCS. It was great. They said, you know, MOI is kind of not really a thing. So you're, you're probably not going anywhere. I'm like, okay. You know, they gave me orders. So it's not like I was going to ignore the orders. And then I went to Venezuela as a mill group guy. Uh, it was not a FAO billet. It was a FAO billet. I wasn't a FAO then. Um, hey, I'm still here. So, uh, you know, I, I'm the the product of somebody on a board saying, hey, you know, give the Smith, the Smith kid a chance, even though he spent a couple of years in Caracas. Um, I got told to go there. So bloom were planted. Um, I think it that is not a, a thing I can solve with talent management order or talent management manual. We have to do things like here's a, here's somebody who's at an embassy, a FAO in, uh, in the Pacific who speaks Mandarin. Probably want to keep that person around. Um, pro probably interested. The board members over time will have to simply shift their view of, well, they didn't do the traditional thing. Okay, platoon commander, company commander, OPSO or XO, battalion commander, that's, um, that's very cookie cutter and that may not in fact work for the future. Quick example and I'll, I'll move on. Um, I'll be mindful on the on the colonel board because it's not out yet but i can say um you know you roughly pick 100 colonels a year it's, it's a really tough board it's 46 48 selection rate okay we don't have 54 or 52 percent of our lieutenant colonels who are knuckleheads we we don't i mean but but every year we have to tell more than half our lieutenant colonels sorry there's just not a place for you because our our pyramid is this um this year we picked 19 who are not uh, previous 05 commanders no, 19. The most we'd picked before, I think, was six. Because it was kind of this, you know, traditional, okay, you have to be an 05 commander. And if you're an 05 commander, 
you're going to go to top level school and go on to be a colonel. If you miss that gate, so if you're the uh, the G1 or the S1 or S4 who's busting your ass, sorry, I said ass on your podcast, but who's busting your backside, um, you, you get nothing for that. Well, you have to get something because we value that staff officer. We value that viewpoint. That's the whole diversity, equity, inclusion thing. I don't, I don't care what you look like. And I don't care how you go to the bathroom. What I care about is, hey, that's a that's a two, that's a four, that's a five, that's a six, commander, non-commander, uh, East Asian time, Middle East time. I want that collective group coming together to solve a problem. It's not about, you know, where you were born, what you look like. I don't give a rat's ass about that. Said, said ass twice on your podcast. Sorry. I don't care about that. I care about different viewpoints solving a problem. So anyway, 19 out of probably 100. That's a, if you don't think that is a significant change, you haven't been around the Marine Corps as long as me because that's a big change, and it's long overdue. Uh, okay, next question here is uh, is looking specifically, uh, uh, staffs are asking about conversations that they've had about 360-degree uh, feedback, which he notes that everyone has something to say about it. Sometimes it's good, sometimes it's bad. And, you know, we've certainly, we've been watching other services, I think, it's either the Air Force or the Army that's been looking at including that more in some of their, uh, their promotion selection items. Is this something that's being looked at only, is it being looked at at all? Is it being looked at only for senior leaders? Or is it potentially going to become a tool that could be used for anybody who gets a fit rep? Yes, yes, and yes. Um, already started the pilot program. We started with 05 and 06s. We started there because it's a manageable population, and they're the ones who, who have the most influence over Marines. So we want those 360 evals. For those who are afraid of them, hey, don't be afraid, right? We, we get it, that there's going to be this one person. So I, I interview uh, above, below, and, and with, and I get out of 30 evals, I get two people say, that guy's a jerk. You know, she's, she's an idiot. But everybody else said, good. I'm going to assume these are the two people who you either uh, they're your peer and you guys, one's a Red Sox fan, one's a Yankees fan, and you just can't agree. You are a subordinate who got NJP'd, possible, or you are a senior who said, well, she won't do exactly what I told her to do. You know, she's almost exercising her own mind. You know, you can't have that. We get that the, the outliers are just that. I mean, facts are facts, right? So don't be afraid of a 360 eval. What a 360 eval prevents is what I would say monkeys in a tree. From above, you look down, eh, cute little monkey. Look at that. From below, nothing but a big ass, right? Um, three times. Um, you, you don't, you're trying to avoid that before you put that individual in charge of a thousand Marines. That program will expand beyond the 05s and 06s when, again, when I have the technical ability to do it. So we can do 360, eval, 360 evals on a first sergeant, on a sergeant major. We also acknowledge, again, for the sergeant major, who are the disciplinarians of the Corps, there's because I'm going to need some feedback, not wait, you know, that sergeant major yelled at me. Well, right, right, because you were, you know, half out of uniform. You hadn't shaved. You're you're probably going to get the knife hand, right? Um, maybe you should comply with Marine Corps orders. So we acknowledge that, Sergeant Major, that we're asking you to be the disciplinarians of the Corps, because we have to have that customs, courtesies, and ironclad discipline is what keeps you alive on the battlefield. Been there, done that, seen it. So all that is feedback that comes to the senior leadership to say, okay, here's what we have. 
hey, we have 100% negative feedback on this individual from above, from with and below. That's an indicator. I mean, that, that's all we're trying to do because we've all been in commands where a senior leader, you went, how the heck did he or she get there? Well, because again, from above, look great. From with and below, not so much. We're, we're looking for that. that. That's it. And it's not a, it's not a, you know, a tattling thing. It's, I'm just looking for an eval on you. And it's also a tool to correct you early. That's why we want to do it earlier, right? For captains. So you can say, hey, Skipper, come here. Hey, Staff Sergeant, come here. Brand new Staff Sergeant, you got your rocker, you're in. Hey, lighten up a little bit. Or, hey, you need to step up and, and do what you're supposed to do. It's a, it's a tool because talent management means making everybody better. Because if we go to war tomorrow, hey, that Staff Sergeant that you don't like, hey, guess what? They're going with you because we need everybody on the line. So it's a tool. Great. Thank you very much, sir. Uh, all right. Next question is looking kind of more broadly at not just uh, uniform talent management, but civilian talent management. So asking as we look at changing policies for the uniform side of the service here, um, how can we optimize retention of the best civilian talent associated with our service? And are, are we doing something to challenge broader DOD human resources management to follow our example? That, that is being done at both the, the Marine Corps, the Department of Navy, and the Department of Defense level. The Deputy Secretary of Defense, Dr. Kathleen Hicks, uh, runs a thing called the Deputies Workforce Council, the DWC, which I attend. And, and one of their focus areas is exactly on that for the department. Because we don't want the DAF, the Department of the Air Force, the DON, Department of the Army, all doing such unique things that there's not transferability um, for our employees within the services. If you want upward mobility, or you find a better job in the army, we, we want to try to keep you, but we also want to help you ascend. Uh, maybe your spouse transfers to Fort Bragg. You're probably not going to be working for the Marine Corps for Fort Bragg. So we want to help you transfer to the army because they're federal employees. So within the Marine Corps, uh, Ms. D. Reardon, who is our senior uh, civilian, she's our senior, senior executive service, the most senior, senior executive servant uh, within the Marine Corps. She runs talent management for the SESs, who then in turn run it uh, within their department. And it is really about retaining them, giving them opportunities to excel and to grow, just, just like Marines, because we are a single team, Marines, civilians, families. So yeah, we are doing that. It's being done much more at the Department of Defense, Department of the Navy level, whereas talent management uniform Marines is, is the thing that I am focused on, because that is... Something that is directly the Title 10 responsibility of our Commandant to train, man, and equip the force. But we are doing very similar things um, with civilians, but realize those are held more at the Department of Defense level because those are all federal employees, whereas each service chief has Title 10 recruiting standards, training standards, different for each service. Federal employees, federal employee union, uh, they are very, very similar, and that needs to be addressed at the more holistic level. All right, next question. Um, I'm, I'm going back to my own list here. Um, and I, I want to make sure we, like, we sort of get Force Design 2030 as far as this conversation, too, because um, it's been, I, you know, the Commandant identified this is like, this is the engine that's going to help drive Force Design 2030 to be successful. So um, under, the, under the force construct changes that we've seen, we've seen different fleet units become experimental test beds for concepts like the Marine Littoral Regiment, reconnaissance, counter reconnaissance, and so on. So I, I know we've talked a little bit about already um, places where some changes are going on. Is there is there a, a view to having either a unit or perhaps a geographic 
area become a larger experimental test bed for talent management changes? Yeah, the, the answer right now is no. Uh, there are pilot programs where you, where you test something out, but it's not necessarily unit or geography based. It is really size based because that's the, the amount of people that can be handled by manpower management without the technical tools, the computer tools that they need. So I don't, it's possible. Uh, I'll talk to General Borg Schulte, certainly something I'm willing to consider um, as as we take it to the Commandant for final decision. But I, I don't see it ever being um, a geography or unit based. It could be an MOS based thing. We might have an MOS of a certain size. We could say, OK, crash fire rescue. I'm making that up for the crash fire rescue Marines. Right. Don't don't get excited. I'm just making that up. But crash fire rescue, fairly small MOS which goes to a peak. I mean, there's, a, there's you know, a couple of master gunnies. I used to work with a guy, Lou Hapshi, uh, when I was an OSO. He was my OSTER, my officer selection team recruiter. He was a crash fire rescue. Um, no way he was ever getting promoted because there were three very healthy master gunnies, right? And we, you know, and, and he didn't ever wish for their demise, but, but you know, th there was no way he was going from being a gunny up until one of them retired and they were awesome. They were great. They were young master gunnies and he was going to have to wait five, six years. Um, that is a tool and he was awesome, by the way. So if Lou Hapsi happens to be watching this, guy taught me a lot. Um, that might be an example of an MOS where we could attempt to do some grade shaping work, et cetera. But I don't see it being unit or geography based. It's just population size based. Ultimately, we could in fact use a, a unit with career planners. If I have the tool, and I can say, okay, within the 1st Marine Division or within 1st Marine Regiment, you pick it. I want to now try this tool out with career planners such that the career planner actually can say, boom, Smith wants to reenlist. There's a slot. You're done. That I can see because we'll have to select someone to, to test it. Does that make sense? Yeah, no, it does, sir. Thank you. All right. Next question that you've sort of touched on some of these issues before, but the specific question is, whether the Marine Corps looked at adopting any components of the Army's Battalion Command Assessment Program as part of the selection process. And I know that the Army's program has gotten a lot of headlines you know, probably for a couple of years now, or at least since, since they first started it. So um, what, what aspects, if any, uh, are, is the Marine Corps looking at importing? Well, I think first thing you do is you, you, you look at it, you see how successful it was or wasn't. The Army's invested significantly in that, um, and, and I applaud them for it. We're a significantly smaller service. Um, and so we're doing some elements of that now. I think if you talk to General Donovan, um, CG 2nd Mardiv, they are doing a, um, uh, what I would say is a similar assessment tool within 2nd Marine Division for, for key leaders. Whether that's transported out or not, I don't know. We'll let that flush itself out within 2nd Marine Division, and then we'll take that to the Commandant and say, do you wish to do this service-wide? So we certainly are doing something similar um, within the 2nd Marine Division. And then I think our screening tools right now, which is where the 360 eval comes in, and that's a big part of it, um, those are very, very useful and similar tools. When we talk about, hey, fitness tests, et cetera, we, we have fitness tests, and, and we do trust leaders when they write a fitness report to make sure that, that your height, your weight, your fitness report, or your, uh, your physical fitness level are accurate. And if we find people that aren't accurately reporting, you got to hold those people accountable because that's an official document. So I don't know that we'll go uh, at the level the Army has done. 
um, we're a small enough service that I, I'm not sure we have to. those are important, but our fitness reports are what is different. We, we depend on and require leaders to objectively and accurately assess the future, just like JPEZ for our enlisted Marines. We, we ap- absolutely expect um, our fitness report writers, reviewing officers, reporting seniors to accurately reflect the, the talent and the ability to go forward of an individual. Because sometimes you got to sit down kneecap to kneecap and say, Smith, you're doing great, but you may be at your terminal rank. Let me help you. Let me help you get ready to transition or to hold. Because uh, I don't see this going a lot further for you based on your current performance. I'm going to help you, but I'm just telling you where I think you stand. Most of the time when you go kneecap to kneecap and tell somebody that, they already knew. They were just waiting to be formally told. So to me, that's what's unique about the Marine Corps. They're small enough that they can look in the eye and say, Ian, you're awesome, but, or hey, Ian, you got a bright future, brother. I need you to do A, B, and C uh, to get you most ready for a command. I think we actually do that now. Great. Thank you, sir. All right, next question, kind of going back to the, the tools and the data used for the tools. Um, the quite, audience members noting that, like, lots of talk about the benefits and drawbacks of big data. You know, it can be used to build, collect, assess, valid information. Um, and then notes that Marine Corps has a, a lot of data already in its various different databases and files. I know this is something that the Commandant has mentioned more than once. Like, we have lots of different pieces, but they don't talk to each other necessarily. So what are some of the things that the TMX and the talent management 2030 is looking at doing to get those things to, you know, rather than build new tools, just connect the tools that we already have. Yeah, that that's actually what I'm talking about. It's not TMX that does that. That is Lieutenant General Glavy and Brigadier General Walsh. Um, the, the tool that manpower needs is the single pane of glass. That is not their responsibility to build. That is what General Glavy and General Walsh are working on underneath the requirements officer, Lieutenant General Heckle. Uh, quick example. So, so we don't need a new tool. I just need a tool that pulls them all together, right? So I can see your EFMP data. I can see your PME. I can see your PFT. I can see your medical condition. Uh, I can see your rotation dates. I, I was monitor for a day. I went down, uh, I don't know, it's been a few months now. Um, and I, I went down to Manpower and I talked to two enlisted Marines, two officers. I go in where the monitors are working and talking. And I'm talking to a young sergeant who uh, wants to go out and wants to go to uh, MSG duty. You know, great. I'm talking to a staff sergeant. Here's a great example. I talked to a staff sergeant. He was on uh, recruiting duty in Fort Walton Beach. Just been meritoriously promoted to staff sergeant. Sounds like he's pretty good. He's a motor T operator. Um, wants to go to Okinawa, the pointy end of the spear, you know, the, the, the focus of effort. And the way our current system was set up, we, we said, well, hold on, you know, because you're a tier two Marine. Um, so I, I can only let you uh, extend for two years. We got to have 36 months to go to Okinawa. Well, hey, wait a minute. We just promoted this guy meritoriously. Clearly he's kicking butt out there. So I looked over at Reggie McClam, Colonel McClam, said, hey, Reg, we're, and he said, sir, you're good, re-enlist him. So poof, we re-enlist him on the spot and he takes his family to Okinawa. But to do that, I literally had six computer screens up in front of me because each of those systems is in a stovepipe. So I'm trying to figure out six computer screens. It looked like something out of, uh, I don't even know, I can't even do the movie reference right now. Um, But there's just all this crazy data instead of a single pane of glass where I can look and say, he's on recruiting, meritorious promoted, 
he's, you know, he is a quality Marine, highly qualified. He's got this, he's got this, his family's good, no AFMP uh, issues, because there's only, only two issues that should prevent you from going to Okinawa, and that's uh, oncology, cardiology. You know, if you got a heart problem or a cancer problem, um, we're probably not going to send you to Okinawa. But I, I had to look through six computer screens to get that. So it took me 30 minutes. It should have taken me three. And the other 27 minutes, I could have spent doing talent management. Hey, Ian, what's it going to take to keep you? Okay, your spouse is a, is a nurse and she's at Pendleton and you want to stay there for another three years? I can do that. But, you know, that job for you there may not be as career enhancing um, as, as this one, right? Because it's not going to stress you enough as a pilot. I mean, how many hours you got, Ian? Uh, around 1,600, sir. 1,600. So, hey, this one you'd get to 2,400. This one, maybe not. So, are you willing to to accept that risk, you know, on your personal development? That, that's the conversation I could have had in the 32 minutes or 31 minutes that I was trying to use my own limited G2 skills to meld six computer screens. That's what we're talking about. They're not new tools. All right, next couple questions. I'm going to try and kind of bucket together because we've got one more and I'm looking at the clock and we uh, we only have a little bit of time left here. But so kind of a two-part question on this one is, um, but it's really, it's really looking at using external talent and experiences to better place people. So first part is looking at uh, whether there's going to be new perspective on civilian experience for reservists for assignment to future billet opportunities for both officer and enlisted. And then second part is looking at um, perhaps a modification of lateral entry where you have highly qualified civilians that go in at higher ranks than your, you know, your starting rank. Uh, would there be a possibility for doing that to highly qualified enlisted Marines going through something like MESEP or another program where having finished that, looking at their skill level, that they could then come in at potentially an 02 or 03? Yeah. So one, a hundred percent, right? There, there's been a lot of what I, I would say is kind of hyperbole and, and breathlessness about lateral entry. Okay. One, we have the authority now today to bring someone in as a Colonel by, by law. We can commission you as a Colonel. We can do that right now. We've done that in the past. We have a lot of Marines who, the, what we're talking about the, the, in the vast majority of, of these Marines, the vast, vast majority, they're going to OCS or they're going to boot camp, entry level training. Let's remember that the president's own, these are professional musicians who represent the core globally and, and bring us more credibility than you can imagine. They do not go to boot camp. They are professional musicians, but they are Marines. Graduates of the United States Naval Academy have gone and then not gone to officer candidate school, but they go through a separate screening process at the Naval Academy. And let me tell you, our Naval Academy grads right now, you know, nobody cares where you went to college, but hey, they're kicking butt. We are doing incredibly well at the U.S. Naval Academy, getting a tremendous product. Uh, Admiral Buck, Sean Buck, is just crushing it at the Naval Academy. We get about 275-ish uh, Marine officers from the Naval Academy, and we are getting high-quality officers. And they are going because we send high-quality instructors there, by the time they finish the Naval Academy, they have been well-screened and well-evaluated, and then they go to the basic school. So what we're talking about for the vast majority of Marines is you used to be a corporal. You got out after four years. You went to work in the cyber field. You got national level credentials. And you say, you know, I'd like to come back. Oh, great. You can come back in as a corporal eight years later. Well, why can't he come back in as a staff sergeant? Well, you think he doesn't know anything about the Marine Corps? He's been to boot camp. He, he knows what's what. 
and he's been out now, but he's got this level of certification out there. He can't come back in as a staff sergeant. Are you kidding me? That that's like saying we should never have a a, a meritorious promotion. I mean, we we have corporals who are meritorious promoted to sergeant, and then go to the drill field and get meritorious promoted to staff sergeant. Within three years, I just met a, a sergeant. I'm sorry, a staff sergeant. 0811, um, or 41. Uh, staff sergeant T. Sorry, I can't remember if you're 0811 or 0841. Um, he's a seven year staff sergeant now if you say well he's too early i'll let you wrestle him because he'll kick your ass i mean he's he's a stellar oa i just can't remember if he's 11 or 41. we've been doing this for a long time and lateral entry or bringing someone back in uh, at a higher rate there's no problem doing that i was commissioned as a second lieutenant with a MESEP who got commissioned as a captain a guy named dave sykes he was an artillery guy who'd been in the national guard we commissioned him as a captain so i stand right next to him poof you know, he's now Captain Sykes. Seemed to work out for him. So I think the breathlessness over a very small number of people who we would bring back in, especially on the reserve side at a higher rate, needs to cease because it's about winning. It's about fighting and winning, right? It's about if we go to war with China or go to war with Russia. I want to win. I want the person who's best capable of injecting cyber tools into you and throwing you offline so I can close with and destroy you. I want that person to be paid appropriately, have the right authority level. I don't care that they were a corporal and you brought him back in as a staff sergeant. He was a captain. You brought him back in as a lieutenant colonel. I want to win. And that's what we're about. Great. Thank you, sir. I got one more question from the audience and then we'll uh, I'll give you any closing comments you'd like to make and we'll wrap up. So last question goes back to something you said at the very beginning, sir, which was the close versus the deep fight in the talent management strategy. So uh, what, what's the long, what is the long game plan for training and education of career planners or what what new investments or changes and or powers and authorities are they going to get to make them more effective so the career planner community uh, already does but has to do more we have to give them the the opportunities to come together for more than just a symposium but uh training all drill instructors all recruiters kind of national level training same for career planners here is your poi your program of instruction these are the requirements you must meet as a career planner and make sure that their promotion, their occupational field allows them to be promoted, right? Their promotion rates have to equal. So people want to be a career planner. It's vital. The tools are those tools I talked to you about, the NATS tickets, where that career planner at 2nd Battalion, 2nd Marines, or at 2nd uh, uh, at Marine Regiment is looking on the computer screen and saying, hey, okay, Ian, you, you want to do A, B, and C, you know, Corporal Brown. Here's your options. Here's what's available. I can tell you right now, if you're in, then then I can send you here. I can send you to MSG duty. I can do whatever. Uh, and that's the key, like, if you don't want to hist or be histed, volunteer. And we're having that, right? Recruit to recruiter. Again, most people are willing to, you know, high risk, high reward. Go on recruiting duty, very challenging, but a lot of meritorious promotions, a lot of ways to advance, same for drill field. So volunteer and you don't get histed and, and that's been successful. So those career planners need the ability to come together as a community of interest Make sure they're all meeting the same standards, communicate amongst themselves, best practices, and then the tools, those computer tools are what I have to give them. Final piece on the career planners is, is a thing for Marine Corps Forces Reserve. We're a total force. Talent management is everybody, active and reserve. Direct affiliation is a key. Brown and Smith, we decide we're going to get out. Okay, rather than making that Marine feel guilty because they've served four years honorably and they're going to get out, we say, hey, I can't keep you. Nothing I can do to keep you. You know, damn, I hate to lose you. Okay. Hey, Ian, wh where are you going? 
uh, I'm going down to Tampa, family business. Okay, hey, we got a reserve unit down there, fourth tracks. They're going to be awesome. They're going to either one day have ACVs or they're going to be doing um, littoral experimentation. They're going to be our boat unit. Have you thought about that? Because they're right there in Tampa. Here's the benefits. And you say, yeah, you know, I, I, I'd like to stay Marine uh, Reserves. Okay, well, we want that career planner to see how many slots are available in fourth tracks, your qualifications, and not just hand you a phone number and say, well, call this guy and see how it works out. Would you sit in the office, they call right down to fourth tracks and say, hey, first Sergeant Jones, Sergeant Major Jones, I got this guy Brown. Here's the stats. Uh, can you pull him up in 3270? Boom, he's up. He, he wants to come to you. He He's willing to stay Marine and come be a reservist with you. Hey, put him on the phone. Here's the phone. That's direct affiliation. I can't just say, well, good luck. You know, if you get interested, call the prior service recruiter. That career planner has to cover down active and reserve because it's about retention. And we don't want to lose you. I spent a ton of time finding you, training you, and making you a Marine. You became a Marine. I can't let that talent walk out the door. That's retention. Um, it, it will be a challenge. Uh, it'll, if we retain more senior Marines, well, that's going to cost more money, right? And money's tight. But I should have to recruit less if I retain more, right? And so we spend an inordinate amount of money looking for recruiting, getting someone through boot camp, through the training and education pipeline. What if I do less of that a year? What if it's not 44,000 a year? What if it's 29,000 a year? Would that change the training and education command's size? I think so, um, because I've retained Marines because they have experience when they're going on their fourth deployment instead of their first is that Marine more ready to fight and win that's what we do right we are America's war fighters I think a fourth deployment Marine more likely to thrive on the battlefield than a first deployment Marine this is about war fighting it's all about war fighting it's about winning it's not about you know whatever the word is woke or whatever I don't even use that word anymore it's about being lethal and better on the battlefield than we were yesterday. That's the only reason we're doing talent management. Because I, what I can tell you, having been to the show a couple of times in combat, when the Marines know you, you, you care about them, when they, when they know that your interest is their interest, they're willing to fight long and hard for a command that gives a crap about them. That's what talent management is about. That's why we're focused on dual service families. That's why we're focused on making sure that if you want to stay and you're you're willing to fight and, and, and bleed for your country, you're somebody who I want. That's what talent management's about. Demonstrating to you that I care as much about you as you care about this core. That's what it's about. And I think anybody who, who thinks it's something else, you're you're misguided. Um, if you got a question that I didn't get to, which I know is a ton, right? We got an hour. Um, Please write this down. TMX, that's Tango Mike X-ray TMX at USMC.mil. That that email address is up and running. TMX Tango Mike X-ray TMX at USMC.mil. That email's up and running. If you shoot a note, the TMX team. Now remember that TMX team is about that big. It's like ten people, right? I mean, they are a very small first phase operation. Um, they will respond to you. They'll come back to you. 
and TMX will 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 change a little bit, uh, you know, kind of TMX phase two to try to get them a little bit more structure, a little bit better facility to work from. Because um, what I did, you know, Commandant is is big on hey let's get let's get something moving here. You don't want to analyze something for six years and then move. What you do is you concept, war game, experiment, refine. That's how you move with speed against an adversary who's pacing, who's moving fast. We could do the old system of we're going to evaluate this for three or four years, and then we're going to do a pilot, and then three or four years later, we'll assess the pilot. It's like seven years. You know, this from the people that brought you airplanes that you thought about 30 years ago. I mean, that does not work going forward. So the TMX team, TMX at USMC.mil, phase one is start this rock rolling. And then I'll start to move the rock per Colonel Nakanese, my military assistant. It's like, hey, first we got to start the rock rolling. He just came from 31st Mew. You got to go try some stuff. You got to try it and then refine it. You, you can't do a three-year assessment before you try. So that is what TMX is designed to do. They have gotten this ball rolling, generated some excitement, a little bit of heat in the engine room. Now I need them on behalf of our commandant to look deeper uh, to prevent strategic surprise in 2030, 2040. But if you have ideas, send them. We will get an answer back to you. We probably already looked at it, um, but we will absolutely come back to you and tell you why we're doing it or why we can't do it. There are some things that I'm bound by statute, by law to do or not do. Um, some things that I'm bound by departmental policy, not Marine Corps, but either DOD or DON, um, Department of the Navy policy, that, that has to be changed before the Commandant can move. But those things which are Marine Corps policy, those things we can't change. And uh, our Commandant has been very willing to say, yep, give that a try. Yep, we'll, we'll do that. Collect the data and then I'll correct where we're, where we're off. But I, I will tell you, I won't say his name. Uh, I keep up with the former assistant commandants. Uh, in fact, I need to send them another update email, but they're awesome. They're gracious with their time. Uh, sadly, we've lost one of our former ACMAX, uh, General Butch Neal, um, artillery officer extraordinaire. Uh, before Lieutenant, before General Langley, he was our uh, our only four-star artillery officer. I just got an email from another uh, former ACMAC who said, hey, Eric, um, your talent man, what y'all are doing, keep doing it because that's exactly what I wanted to do and tried to do, but you know the machine kind of ground it down and we didn't get there. And I briefed five former ACMACs uh, at a huddle uh, last fall, um, or this spring, pardon me, this spring. And um, they said the same thing. Hey, that's good stuff. That's, yeah, I wanted to do that too. Hey, we wanted to try that, but the machine kind of ground it down. We got a commandant who's saying, hey, move, cross the line of departure. And, and we are going to encounter things and we're going to change our formation from a wedge to a column to an echelon. But we are crossing the line of departure here. Because uh, if you don't, you will have analysis paralysis and you won't get anywhere. But I've had multiple former ACMACs in the most recent email saying, don't let the bastards grind you down. Keep going because that's the kind of stuff I want to do as the ACMAC and we couldn't get it done. And I appreciate those uh, emails and, and those discussions with, with my, my, my former ACMAC uh, friends very much because the things that we're talking about are just the right things to do for people. We're a people business. And uh, if we don't, if, if we're unwilling to see the goodness in, in making an adjustment to keep somebody with seven years experience, then we probably don't deserve that person. Ultimately, the Marine Corps gets the first and last vote. 
when I give uh, orders, the manpower system gives orders. We talked about it. We couldn't come to an agreement. Here's your orders. Hey, those are your orders. You're going to execute them. We're still the Marine Corps. But before I do that, we should have a conversation. That, that's all we're saying about talent management. So everybody should, uh, everybody breathe through your nose, rub your lobes a little bit, relax. Um, we're just trying to make it easier um, to have the conversation between two Marines about what's the best thing for you and the Corps. That's it. So use that email and see if your questions in and we'll, we'll get you some answers back. And uh, I think we're a couple minutes over, Ian, sorry about that. But this is important to me uh, and hopefully it's important to y'all. Yeah. Hey, no worries, sir. Uh, definitely appreciate you taking a little extra time to kind of wrap things up and round it out there. And to our audience, just so you know, that email and then any questions I didn't get to here in our discussion today, that's going to go up. To, that'll be on the show notes and those questions will go up to um, General Smith's office for staff to take a look at and make sure those those get addressed. Sir, um, thank you very much again for your time. Appreciate the work, the uh, coordination between yourself and your staff and the Crew Lack Center here to make this happen. I'm very excited to get this one out and continue the, the conversation as well as the, uh, the information and the outreach about what Talent Management 2030 is trying to achieve for, on behalf of the Marine Corps. Um, so again, thank you very much. I appreciate your time and um, we'll do this again someday. We'll see. Hey, I'm, hey, I'm always up, Ian. If you guys want to do this again, I'm in. Uh, I would recommend, I candidly would recommend the next one. If you haven't already done it, you probably want to have a guy named Sergeant Major Troy Black uh, sitting in this seat um, because he is vital to talent management as a Sergeant Major Marine Corps. Because we've got a lot of officer things, talking about command board stuff. Hey, we only got about 70,000 officers. The rest are, are enlisted Marines. And that is, that's the, the crown jewel, right, is our young Lance Corporals and Corporals. So I would have Sergeant Major Black here, who, by the way, lives in quarters two uh, at the barracks in the home of the Sergeant Major of the Marine Corps. We just dedicated that on Friday. So you got the home of the Commandants. Um, then you got the ACMAC house uh, next to it. That's empty right now, renovation, all that stuff. But for the first time, we have the home of the sergeant's major. Um, got the plaque on it and everything. It's official. And so the sergeant major of the Marine Corps lives at Marine Barracks, Washington, uh, as they should and probably should have done a long time ago. But, I mean, that because all of us who have been to the fight enough know that that's, that's how it works. COXO and, and, and the sergeant major, I mean, that's the command team. So uh, the commandant uh, designated those quarters as uh, the home of the sergeant's major of the Marine Corps. So I would have uh, Sergeant Major Troy Black here for your next podcast. And, uh, and then I would take only questions from corporals. Uh, no offense to the, to the officers in the audience, but uh, uh, Sergeant Major Black got a lot to say. Uh, and he's got 31 years experience. He, he knows a thing or two because he's seen a thing or two. So I would respectfully recommend that to you, Ian. Yeah, absolutely, sir. You've just given us the next target to shoot on here for next one in the series. So we'll, uh, we'll talk to the right people and make it happen. All right. Again, sir, thank you very much for your time. To our audience, thank you for joining us today. Hope you found it informative. And please follow us on our email or social media channels. We've got some more great episodes coming out here in the coming weeks. Education is what's important. Training, preparation for the expected. Education, preparation for the unexpected.